Hi, Mage fans. This is your host, Terry Robinson. And before we get to today's collection of interviews, I have some community notes. Discord member Nibero has been writing and posting tradition rotes as a project and is looking to share and get feedback. Link to this project are in the show notes. Also, friend of the show, Charles Siegel, has produced a book on the Storyteller Vault called Sorcerer Passive Power, which updates Sorcerer to 20th Anniversary Edition rules. Link is also in the show notes. Additionally, I'd like to thank everyone who commented on the Victorian Mage Indiegogo that they want me to write something about the Victorian Age Umbra, and I'm about to say something I may come to regret. If I'm not formally asked to write something by OPP, I'm going to release a supplement on the Victorian Umbra on the Storyteller Vault that's 250 words long for each person who comments that they think I should write on Victorian Mage in the Indiegogo campaign. Minimum 5,000 words, maximum 20,000 words, so if 30 people comment, I need to write a 7,500-word piece, which ain't bad, especially for something as small as the Umbra. Let's see if I come to completely regret this. And with that, today's show is a compilation episode and consists of a smattering of interviews I've done over the last few months of people doing actual plays and World of Darkness or World of Darkness-ish podcasts. They include the live plays of Vorpal Tales, which is a M20 plus Cult plus Cthulhu Mythos game, the late 90s set Technogate Umbra Hopping Episodic Chronicle, done as part of Golden Age Stories, and Ombligo del Diablo, which crosses V5 with M5, as well as short conversations with Nate of Utility Muffin Labs and his 2D10 podcast, and Josh, who's behind the Old World of Darkness podcast, Crossing Darkness. There's a lot of links, we cover a lot of stuff, and it's all in the show notes. On with the shows. My guest is Matt from the um, Ombligo del Diablo live play. Did I pronounce it correctly, and is that your name? You did exactly right, and my name is Matt. We struggled with it as players so horribly. The first two episodes were like, um, 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 And it literally means the devil's navel or something similar to that. And it, yes, it does. Your live play takes place in this weird southwestern town and i appreciate that because i've traveled to the american southwest a number of times and i feel like people are like ah the the landscape is blue and the people are friendly i'm like there's a subtle hint of madness that goes through any area that is that far from a river and i feel your game uniquely embraces it especially with uh what may or may not be chupacabra that appear very early in the series can you tell me what the contrivance of the live play is well our live play is set up over discord so we are going at it um you know in person live with our storyteller we edit it down so it feels more like a radio drama almost Mm -hmm. but that's mainly just to kind of nick out the mechanics and we we leave in the rules you know and so many successes so people still are understanding that something was awesome or something was really tragic or you know in terms of botches and stuff like that and what what is the setting of the game like like you said, a bleak desert town, not a place out of time. I mean, it's it's modern day, but as far as like modern conveniences go, they're non-existent. It's, it's like desperation and sadness and like on such a level that it's almost it's it's affected the modernity, the technology. Like your your phones won't get any reception, of course, but beyond that, they won't even hold a charge. I mean, hmm. there's electricity. I guess the idea is that the place is so backwards that the reality is kind of twisted to that backwardsness and that oddness. And the game seems to lead into a weird world, which we don't always get. It seems like there there's more strange things, maybe slightly out of vision, which is somewhat rare because when you think of World of Darkness, you usually think about an urban setting, and this is not one of those. Why did the group opt for this kind of remote place and maybe for this degree of strangeness? Well, I think all of us enjoy I can't speak for our storyteller, but I, I felt like it was a very Kalakathilu themed wise, like the size of the things that were just beyond the vision, just beyond the scope of the reality for people that even are awakened, quote unquote. I mean, all of us are pretty low power starting out in this series. It's just all more enjoyable because it's not discovered, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, none of us are from a tradition. We're all orphans, more or less. And uh, in addition to kind of eschewing a lot of the uh, the baggage, let's say, of that mage meta plot, uh, one of the other things is it it more or less uses a fifth edition, uh, an attempt at a fifth edition version of mage. From talking beforehand, you're quite familiar with mage. You've played a lot of it over a, a period of time. What is it like playing this M5? And can you tell the audience maybe some of the core changes that they should listen for to hear how maybe a mage fifth edition could work? Listening, it 
the kind of exploding successes are, are interesting. More tens end up doubling, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no reroll aspect. Same thing on the opposite. So you've got, you know, you, all your ones are going to come up. It's going to end up with botches that double as they go. You have more spectacular failures and more spectacular successes in that regard. Uh, the willpower system, for instance, is, is different. You're not just spending a point of willpower to get a success. What does it do here? Well, you can trade non-aggravated willpowers for single diary rolls, but they can't have been botches. You can use an ag per session to have your maximum successes. So if your dice pool was six, say, at something, and then you, you, you just completely botched it and you think it's going to be the most important roll of the game, you can spend an ag willpower. And those usually replace with a whole other scene where the characters have rested. If they haven't rested, that doesn't refresh. So you can end up with significantly less willpower. That can start to affect things. There's a In addition to that, so you have this willpower. What is aggravated willpower? What it does is basically you're going to sit, pretend you have a willpower pool of five to begin with. You've got mm -hmm. a composure and resolve two and three, respectively. Say you had a something that you just were like, oh my god, I really had to defuse that bomb and you spend a willpower, your effective willpower after you spend your aggravated for the rest of that game and scene or until it refreshes is going to be four. There are devastating things that could happen to you that could also reduce your willpower, including mind control, just horrible crushing failures, things that are like, okay, we're going to have to say you take an ag willpower, you know, and that's going to re reduce your willpower pull further, that kind of thing. Ag willpower is refreshed at the end of the session. And non-ag is refreshed at the end of the scene. Okay, got it. So uh, willpower doesn't give you that guaranteed success. It is intended to be used more frequently, and you kind of have these two levels at which you can spend it, depending on how much you want to deplete it. That's that's kind of interesting. Uh, in addition to that, there seems to be some sort of sanity mechanic. How does that work? Depending upon what your sanity is, and most normal vanilla humans, your sanity starts at a seven. Most mages, usually just from the wackiness of having awakened, it's usually eroded down to a six. That's kind of based on paradigm and backgrounds and that kind of thing. But basically experiencing things that are traumatic or directly fly in the face of your paradigm or are just utterly terrifying, like beyond belief, will affect your sanity. And the base calculations for the sanity mechanic are you have seven, which is your base kind of human pool. Depending on how much sanity damage you take in a session, you'll take 11 Minus your sanity damage is how many dice you roll. And you only need one success to not go down further. And the idea is that the further down you go in terms of sanity, the harder it is for that to have happened. So say I have a base sanity of six and something horrible happened. I was, I don't know, mauled by a pack of werewolves. And it completely and totally shouldn't have ever happened. I didn't think it was possible. That could be something as high as, you know, uh, for sanity damage. So if you pass that 11, you're automatically going to lose a sanity. Say it wasn't that traumatic. It was only a three sanity inducing thing. I'd still have one die. If the die's a six or higher, I'm not going to go down a sanity level. Um, and I guess as a player, having played a bunch of games, how do you like these mechanics? Do you think it's something that uh, other people should take to their tables? Well, if sanity and character driven is what you're going for, I mean, if it really, the emotional state of your characters is something that you're really, really taking to heart in terms of the story's inertia, mm -hmm. I, I'd definitely say yes. If it's a one-shot, it's a splat, it, it's not worth doing. You know, you're not going to turn into a raving lunatic from one crazy thing. It's a mechanic that's meant for longer campaigns. Okay. And you've enjoyed it so far, though? Oh, yeah. No, it's fantastic. Some of the best role-playing that has been wrung out of us has been from the derangements that you pick. Because when you lose sanity, you pick a derangement that displays in somehow or relates somehow to the trauma that you experience. A lot of games have added similar mechanics to it, so it's not a completely new game space, but it is novel uh, to more or less add that to Mage, where I think it is perfectly fitting because of games where you encounter things that maybe you shouldn't have. Mage seems pretty high on that list. As someone who's listened to a bunch of episodes, I appreciate, one, it is very fast-paced. I appreciate that people are constantly talking over each other, as would probably be the case 
if this were actually, as you had mentioned, were a radio drama, but also that you leave in a lot of the mechanical roles. You can very much see how the characters' actions are setting up roles and how the roles are then responded to by the players in a way that I don't hear necessarily in every live play. It is very easy for me to get bored and it has so far uh, maintained my attention. So, uh, so kudos to you and your group for doing that. If people are interested in listening to the show, how can they do that? Our main hub is Anchor, but we're on just about all of your normal podcast streaming platforms, anywhere you get your normal audio streams, I suppose. But they should search for Ombligo, O-M-B-L-I-G-O space D-E-L space D-I-A-B-L-O. That's exactly right. Nice. Listen to Ombligo del Diablo coming out every other week, or at least for the first season so far, on the podcatcher of your choice. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Our next guest in our tour of people doing mage live plays is Josh from Golden Age Stories. So, Josh, how you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, just excited to be doing a podcast instead of being at work right now because I was a little fearful I was going to be at work until like 3 a.m. this morning. Yeah, it's one of those things where the longer the interruption goes, the odds of it wrapping up quickly, like quickly diminishes where it's like, this can take five minutes, 30 minutes, one hour, or 15 hours, and there are no other options. So I've, uh, I've, certainly, I've certainly run into that one. But, um, and you run, more importantly, a uh, Mage the Ascension live play. What's the name of it? So we do uh, Mage the Ascension Technogate 1999 is the series that we're currently running. And then we have Technogate, plain old Mage the Ascension Technogate for kind of a little backstories on uh, what's going on in the Technogate universe. And what would you say the Technogate universe is? Like, uh, compared to the setting you get in the book, as it were, if you crack open M20, what changes, what iterations do you make on it, what areas do you focus about? Uh, What do you think, how would you describe what the game is about? Mage of the Ascension Technogate is based around the setting that I created back in like 2015 or so called uh, Madison Under Siege, um, where we ran uh, some events at Gen Con, um, did a three-year long event where we had a series of major events that happened throughout 2016 to like, or 2015 to 2018 is when we ended it. We did this like epic arc of ending the world Um, we had mages vampires werewolves hunters all working together in order to fight the nameless the ascension book is the the unnamed i believe okay um the the ending yeah yep (laughs) and then so i took like that kind of version and just kind of ran with it what i kind of wanted to do is like an end of the world scenario Mm -hmm. basically but i wanted to try and combine everything all together with that end of the world scenario and then do this big gen con event where you're all playing these really high level powerful people in madison that have all kind of combined together to fight the darkness that has basically controlled the rest of the world And so it was like a really dark scenario with really high level and powerful characters to try and overcome these, you know, epic events and stuff. So we built it off of that world. So I have this whole history book that basically goes back to the first Adam and, you know, the the first Big Bang and the first, uh, you know, expansion of the universe and what all happens. And then we kind of break it down from there and go through. We went through all of the the wiki history, basically, and took that all and then moved it into our kind of universe and then wrote our own type of things of what what happened in Madison and the rest of our world, but kind of tried to use as much of what is canonly findable on the internet at this point, as well as inside of books and stuff like that, and kind of, you know, built a timeline out of the whole thing. So Technogate focuses primarily on the technocracy of Madison. So we took place all of this end of the world scenario and stuff was in like 2015 and 2016, 2017 and 18. And it was one of those things that I didn't want to go back to being in the end of the world scenario type stuff. So we started this all out in 1998 and we kind of wanted to do like a backdrop of, okay, what's what's kind of happening in 1998 in our kind of setting here. And because Technogate is a construct that exists inside of Madison. Um, that's basically this underground facility that has this giant super gate that allows them to use, you know, high level correspondence in order to basically get anywhere in the universe. 
And so this kind of like Technogate facility and stuff has this long history of weird stuff working with tradition mages to a certain degree, working with um, the concepts of, um, you know, the deep umbra and exploring. But yeah, the basic concept of it is there's these different Technogate teams that go out and explore the umbra. The basis of everything that we're trying to do is focusing on more of episodic kind of setups where it's just going to be, you can jump into an episode and check out some kind of umbral realm and have the Technogate team exploring that. And then we have some epic arc kind of stuff kind of going on in the background. And this is 98. So uh, technology-wise, Nokia had just rolled out the first internal antenna cell phone. Is it, do you keep everything period appropriate in that regard? Well, the nice thing is, is by playing technocrats, don't really have to keep things period um, in the sense of what the characters have access to. Okay. Um, and I kind of go by the rule of everything that is within 20 years of technology, which is really easy. It's within our time mm-hmm. period. So as long as it's made in our, um, in the year 2020, um, 2021, you know, right around that point, it's coincidental. Anything beyond that is going to be, or to coincidental advanced technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then anything beyond that is vulgar technology. So the characters have access to smartphones and advanced computers and, and stuff like that that is not really too far-fetched for them to be able to have access to. But when it comes to the rest of the world, yes, we're trying to keep it as period-specific as possible. Hmm. So it is episodic, which has the benefit of you can hop in, you can look at an episode descriptor and say, hey, this this looks like a fun one, I want to listen to that, and not have to worry Unlike some live plays where you're like, oh, you mean you haven't been following it over the last 418 seasons? You'll never understand who the prince is. Um, I'm I'm totally not subtweeting anyone on that. Um, I'm not. I don't actually listen to any vampire live plays except for one. But um, that's neither here nor there. What do you want the audience to get out of the game? If you're like, hey, when we're doing this episode, this is the thing we want we want the listeners to be to get from this. So the kind of ideas that I'm trying to do is, um, you know, I really want it so that if you. If you're watching, I want you to get a sense of what the game is like when it comes to what what players need to roll and what um, kind of mechanics that you'll be going through in Mage, uh, as well as trying to get like an idea of, you know, we're going to be just doing a lot of techno babble kind of stuff in order to explain how all of these people are doing the things are um, that they're doing. So we have like a level of, you know, game mechanics and trying to let you kind of see what the world of Mage is like through the technocrats eyes. And then the other thing that I'm trying to to really put out there is, you know, do you want to check out and learn something about one of the umbral realms? And so if you if you're interested in, a, in an umbral realm and what it was like for a troop to go through that umbral realm and experience it, um, especially from a technocratic kind of point of view, this would be the play that you'd want to kind of come and check out because we, you get to see you know, that umbral realm in action instead of just reading about it in a book. What are some of the realms that you visited so far? So we have visited Inventium. We have visited the Abyss. We have visited the Digital Web, which unfortunately that recording is damaged and you can only hear the GM. Um, We had some (laughs) technical difficulties in the very beginning when we weren't even recording on on Twitch at all. You know, the Near Umbra, we did a little bit inside of the Tempest by a very weird kind of setup that I kind of bent the rules on a lot of stuff. Um, The one thing that I'm not trying to do is being 100% to canon. I'm manipulating things and we're just having fun. A lot of the concept behind the way that IGM is much more on having fun and just running with players and trying to to create a cool story um, and something to listen to during the time instead of being really on the ball on having, you know, tons of back notes on how everything ties into everything like i've i've definitely messed up a bunch on my epic arc <laughs> and been like ah whatever that's i find as a storyteller the thing i most frequently forget is like i have the goal of having like recurring motifs like there's always crows in a particular spot and then i wind up always inserting that after the fact i'm like oh by the way you noticed there were crows there and people are like why the hell is terry always talking about crows and it just completely <laughs> it just completely falls flat so <laughs> that's why i do that's why i do a podcast but even in that regard you you have competition for me which we'll get to shortly uh where can we listen to technogate 
Um, so you can listen to Technogate on Twitch. Um, we we start at 7 p.m. Uh, Central Time on Mondays, and we usually end about 10 o'clock uh, Central Time. Um, we also post these on um, YouTube as well, and you can check that out at uh, Golden Age Stories. It's G-U-L-D-A-N um, for Golden Age, uh, Golden. And it's all one word, Golden Age Stories for Twitch, and then you can just do the normal Golden Space Age Space Stories, or even probably all together will we'll find us on, on YouTube. In addition to that, you do another podcast, an informational and interview show called Crossing Darkness. Uh, what is that and what's it about? So Crossing Darkness started when we did the whole Madison Under Siege kind of uh, startup kind of thing. We just wanted to make sure that when you were coming to our Gen Con game, you had something that you could listen to that could kind of explain some of the world um, and kind of the setup that we were building for you. So when we finished our game, we kind of stopped kind of releasing more episodes um we kind of took a little, little hiatus and when we came back um, we're just trying to explore all of the world of darkness and trying to you know ex- explain and kind of see the world for, you know we go into vampire the masquerade wraith um hunter the reckoning and we also try and and kind of relate it to the other world of dark or other game lines in the world of darkness not necessarily that you should be playing a hunter character with a wraith character but what if you have a vampire that uh, summons a wraith, you know, and if you want to go by the wraith rules, you know, you got to know what the wraith society is. And if you don't want to read a whole bunch of stuff, you can kind of just check out our podcast and maybe get a, a, some base ideas on on these different things. We don't go into super deep dives at this point on specific uh, game lines, um, except for Mage. We do a lot of uh, we talk about ma- magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we did like two episodes on magic and one one episode on Mage the Ascension itself. So we've we've there's just a lot to explain in <laughs> in Mage, but uh, in general we're just we're just kind of picking topics. And then lately we've been um, reaching out to different people like Terry um, to kind of come on and be kind of experts or talk about different things that they're doing in the World of Darkness w- world. So we we're just trying to. Have fun and just, it's a very laid back, no editing live show where we just, you know, run with it. And you have a pretty good lineup of people that you've mentioned. Uh, Jacob Klunder knows, has forgotten more about the Dark Ages than I will ever know about all of human history. You have some of your experiences at conventions. Uh, I know you and your co-host are avid convention goers, and and hopefully we get to do that again at some point in the indeterminate future. Yeah, and and some generic things like on how to create NPCs or, or some advice on world building, what fetishes are, and as you mentioned, the weird crossover stuff, and not necessarily uh, exhaustive deep dives, but just a, hey, this thing can happen, and this is a thought you may want to have about it, which I think is something that World of Darkness in general needs, um, because it, it kind of builds itself as an integrated world, but it's only integrated if you squint. Um, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes yeah, a little you get, bit. you gotta work. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always find it really interesting when I talk to some people and they're like, I don't like integrating any of the other games at all into into my setup, and then I'm like, but what if you read the, the Thin Blood book? Like, you all of a sudden have talk about the technocracy you know launching spirit nukes that cause yeah. all you know like you have to include some stuff um you know and so you have to kind of imagine that there is the world of darkness is is really built at its core um with all of the game lines but unfortunately the narrow focus of each book really made it so that you have to kind of examine the other books in order to get really what a what a mage is because vampire book is not going to explain mage in any real yeah. way it's a good interview format it's it's breezy and it's there every week and something that our audience can can do with your show that they can't do with ours is comment live that's the glory of of doing it on twitch i'm i'm looking forward to that uh i mean we've had a little bit of mm-hmm. it uh when Rick Hines came on, um, we had we had a little bit of questions here and there. It's really interesting. the The concept of Twitch is that if people want to come on and have their own questions and interact with us, we're totally down for doing that. And I'm interested to see because I even do like a, my room is open. <laughs> I could imagine people just jumping in and just screaming on our <laughs> screaming at us. But I I don't I don't want that to happen. But it's just one of those things that, you know, I, I, I like the concepts of just crazy stuff happening live. One of the things I've batted around is doing a radio show on the Onyx Path Twitch channel, uh, Tuesdays with Terry. 
I can do that for as long as COVID lasts, but as long as COVID lasts, I probably won't have the energy for another project. So that kind of kind of cancels itself out. But yeah, I've really wanted to do like like morning radio, but for World of Darkness, <laughs> like sports oh, talk, awesome. I, possibly. Like I just want people to come on and be like fucking Bruja, blah blah blah, like, like I'm ten braid or die. Like just the fact that that could exist, I want it to exist. I have no idea if there'd be an audience for it, but like you have those weird two a cable call-in shows where people people are just screaming at each other on public access i'm like we could do that for world of darkness (laughs) oh my god dude that is that's brilliant i have to say i think that that is immensely brilliant because one of the things you're doing is you're getting to interact with your audience Mm -hmm. you get to by having them call you know quote unquote call in and 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 come onto your your radio show you get to interact with them um and you you could do do the role play whole aspect of it you know and people get to show off their role play skills oh neat, and, yeah or or fails of of role play and it just is you know you can just have fun with it instead of it being super serious you know eventually that's that's in the eventually pile like there's a finite number of systematic understanding of everything episodes left and we're all like oh man this is gonna end and at the same time we're like oh man this is gonna end thank god so and that'll that'll free up some resources but uh as you said if we're interested in tuning in for that where should we go and when does that happen um so that is our um crossing darkness on pretty much any um we, we were on podbean but um if you go to pretty much any podcasting um site um we should be on there is just crossing darkness and our official website is uh it's a uh, crossing darkness.podbean.com awesome and we're going to include that in the show notes as well as a link to your twitch channel and a note of when you do your live shows um do you have any other projects you're doing or anything else you'd like to promote before we roll out you know i'm just doing other kind of twitch uh broadcasts and stuff like that like i do a lot of uh, stellaris on thursdays um every thursday we have a massive multiplayer game of stellaris that goes on where it's we got about like five to ten people that we have playing in that game um it's a a space 4x strategy kind of game really interesting kind of uh game itself but it's a lot of us just having a lot of fun and just poking at each other and, and goofing off and then um, you know, having a lot of fun. We also do, um, you know, just random, I play Eve online. So I do Eve online kind of broadcasts and stuff like that, run a corporation on there. So if anybody's interested in playing some Eve online, you can always hit me up and I can teach you some of the, the ways of being a space pirate. Oh, awesome. Um, So you got the CCP angle and the paradox angle. You've covered all of the white wolf parent companies so far. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, I was really excited when they first, uh, when CCP first got a hold of of White Wolf, and they were going to make the the World of Darkness game. And then I was very disappointed <laughs> and very, very angry with CCP with all of the side projects that they have ever tried working on at this point. But uh, but then Paradox picked them up. So and I've and it's so funny because I I liked Paradox and I liked CCP for completely different reasons than white wolf and world of darkness stuff but world of darkness has always been a huge passion of mine and was actually a passion before i even knew about those other companies lovely to talk to you thank you so much thank you for the work we do and uh, i look forward to talking to you again soon awesome well thank you so much terry for having me on and it's, it's been awesome and my next guest in our tour of live plays and other associated media in mage the ascension is rachel e judd You may know this name from uh, Storyteller Vault Supplements, uh, a noted streamer of Changeling the Dreaming, active in the Storyteller Vault community. Um, I think, are you an official writer on anything? Has your name appeared in in any OPP stuff, or am I just making that up? Yeah, no, I've done uh, a bunch of freelancing with Onyx Path before. I suppose most relevant to Mage, I contributed some cool stuff to the Technocracy Reloaded Player's Guide. Mostly, it seems that I get work on the stretch goals. So for everyone who <laughs> contributes to Onyx Path Kickstarters, thank you so much. And so you are familiar with Mage the Ascension. Do you have a favorite tradition, convention, craft, or or group in Mage? You know, it's really hard because I think the cool thing about Mage is that just its inherent flexibility. Okay. So I was in a private tabletop just before this game 
where I played a cardiac surgeon who had had a, a crisis of conscience, a little bit Doctor Strangey. She ended up being a sister of Hippolyta. And then with, with this game, with the live stream, it was the hollow one that really jumped out at me. And that's what I really like about Mage is like you have a concept and, you know, what tradition you end up playing is different depending on concept. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to do a Disparate Alliance uh, Templar sister of Hippolyta, like buddy cop or something like that. Yeah. Where, like, where like some funny circumstance requires them to cooperate when previously. And, and someone pointed out to me, I think it may have been Satoros and be like, yeah, you think the thing that really marks them apart is the fact that one was historically all male and one was historically all female. But also one is canonically polytheistic and one is canonically looks at Catholicism and goes, mm, really, is that strict enough? So you are <laughs> in a Mage of the Ascension live stream of some sort. What is it? Yeah, so I uh, recently joined the cast of Warble Tales. They stream mostly in the evenings, around 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. They like doing horror, and they've just started this really cool tabletop, which is a mashup of, we're using Mage 20 as sort of the base, mm -hmm. uh, but then we're also folding in some cult and some Call of Cthulhu. And when you say cult, that is cult with a K. Yes, the RPG. Okay. And so it's got this, it's super Gnostic. There's the Demiurge who has imprisoned all of humanity in this illusory world. There are supernatural cops who are basically arch archangels. And when you're mage, you have the power to sort of glimpse the shards of reality that, you know, this is a prison. We're all sort of trapped here. But then folding in the the Call of Cthulhu mechanics, the more you realize about the truth of reality, the harder it is on your mental well-being. Interesting. So how do you represent that system-wise? Like, is there a tracker on your character sheet or something? Do you use the straight Call of Cthulhu sanity points? Uh, Cult had its own system that kind of indicated how far you were off on one end or the other, and it got... I remember it was one of those things where initially you would have moves where you move like one or two points, and then towards the mm -hmm. end of the game you could move by 10 and 20 or 100 points. H how do you represent that mechanically? So the really cool thing is that the storyteller has decided that he's going to sort of port in the vampire the masquerade humanity mechanic so we're all starting with a stability stat of 10 okay and that's how competent we feel at life mm -hmm. basically and then instead of conscience courage and conviction we are folding in clarity rationality and um stability balance okay. balance okay. and so these all fold into stability in really interesting ways and we will also be called upon to roll them in situations where they might apply and the cool thing is uh, we also have an awareness stat which is stolen almost entirely from the onyx path Scion supplement masks of the mythos where as you gain insight into the truth of reality around you your awareness goes up but this also comes with drawbacks pretty much every time we gain awareness we have to make the equivalent of a degeneration roll and if we fail we get some cool derangement or obsession or you know something that's gonna hurt us uh, one of the interesting things, though, in Cult is when your mental balance score goes uh, too high or too low, you do get power from that. Uh, the illusion of reality has been peeled back a little bit, and maybe you can access some angelic or, or uh, demonic forces there. Is there any upside to losing these things, or is this strictly kind of a horror tension mechanic to see no. how... Okay. Yeah, it is. It's so cool. It's so cool. So, so our awareness stat. So, if we make a deal with a supernatural being, which we can, we can learn infernal powers. We can learn powers from the dreaming, and we can learn powers from the dead. Oh, okay. Which, like, the storyteller has not super clarified, but I'm finding a lot of really exciting implications here. Yeah. <laughs> can I? Can I be a mage who uses an art? Please. Okay, so when you say the uh, dreaming, it is not the dreaming like the dreams of the Deep Ones in the Cthulhu mythos, but quite literally Arcadia. 
He hasn't clarified yet that that's definitely a find out and play thing. I did joke about wanting to diabolize the demon. We'll we'll see if I actually get to do that. But yeah, so we can make deals with things for power. And then the points we get to spend on that have to do with our awareness. I, If I remember correctly, it's five times awareness. And so we just get all those free points, spend it on power. But, you know, we had to make a deal with something to get this power. So, you know, who who did we make the deal with and what did it cost? So what is the kind of thing that kickstarted the story? So if someone listens to uh, episode one or tunes in to, mm-hmm. to session one, uh, what does that world look like? Or what, what is kind of getting the ball rolling action-wise? So this is like really classically Gnostic in that, you know, this, this world is a prison. Uh, God is the immortal divine jailer but the twist here is that the demiurge the the immortal divine jailer has disappeared and nothing nobody knows where it is and because the demiurge isn't just tamping down on things right now mages are starting to get more powerful and they're starting to gain more insight and so that's how that's how the game will open okay Uh, okay so this is running weekly then yes uh every sunday night at nine o'clock eastern and if people are interested in tuning in or following along, or if possible, catching uh, the session zero that they may have missed, how can they do that? We are at twitch.tv slash Tales. Awesome. And I will include that in the show notes, along with the other live streams that are occurring within this. Uh, while we're talking about live streams, are there any other live streaming or Old World of Darkness projects that you're working on that you'd like our audience to know about? Yeah. So every Thursday night... I run a Changeling the Dreaming game that is going to be on the Onyx Path channel. And I really leaned into that the Changelings reincarnate. So every season is a new incarnation. So we started in like 9th century Wales. And now we're in Victorian England. And my players have decided to pick a fight with the technocracy. That's a lot of fun. That is uh, on the Onyx Path channel, 9.30 Thursday night. And then on every other Wednesday, I'm on Plastic Age Plays with Travis Legg. And And if this cross-section of games seems insufficiently narrow for your tastes, please note that Rachel also wrote on Memento Mori, Vampire the Wild West, Night Horrors, Conquering Heroes, Trinity Continuum, and Media Race. So that is uh, four different game lines and four different systems in as many books. So uh, <laughs> we thank yes. you for, for your output and to follow your, uh, your your future works. If we are interested in in what you are up to specifically, is there anywhere we can do that? Yes, I am Stolen Fire pretty much everywhere. I'm most vocal on Twitter, but you can also find me on Instagram. Yeah, and you can also just follow me on Facebook under my real name. Well, Rachel, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to following what happens in your live play. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Mates the Podcast. This is your host, Terry Robinson, and my distinguished guest today... To Pete on Mage the Podcast is Nate from Utility Muffin Labs. Utility Muffin Labs is probably best known for historic projects like 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, but Nate has now branched out into other activities, uh, including the 2D10, I'm going to say network, because once you have a podcast and a video presence, that's officially a network <laughs> to me, and you have several podcasts. So, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> so, Nate, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Um, I'm fully embroiled in this uh, podcasting such and such. Yeah, it's quite time consuming. Yeah, Nate and I are on video. I can see he's actually recording a different podcast at the same time and just muting himself in between. It's very <laughs> impressive. So uh, as someone who is also in the read a lot of books and talk about it repeatedly for a long period of time because fans very much enjoy that kind of stuff, I have some questions. So what was it like reading a vampire book a week for four years? Do you like eating ice cream? I do like eating ice cream, Nate. Okay, good. I'm glad you answered that correctly. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> that helps for the story. So ice cream is good. Ice cream's great, right? Um, oh, yeah. And, and you know, you have it as a treat once in a while. You know, maybe even you have it once a week just to treat yourself after a hard, uh, hard work week. Oh, yeah. Um, just replace the word week with day and ice cream yeah, with whiskey. Right. And right, I know exactly right. what you're talking okay. about. <laughs> well, so much like someone with a, um, a bad whiskey problem, Eventually, you just do it even though your body hurts and it's, <laughs> it's killing you. Yeah. 
<laughs> and you just keep doing it and keep doing it. So yeah, that's basically where it was. Once I got to like the bottom of the Dark Ages barrel, like very close to it, like we'll call it mid 2000s of Dark Ages, I was like, I think I'm just going to quit reading books. Um, <laughs> you refused to read stop signs and everything. It was very problematic I, I, from what yeah, I understand. I was like, I don't, I can't read. Some, someone would mention a game and I'd be like, no, I'm done. I don't want to, I don't even talk about it. But no, to be fair, I love reading. I love reading gaming books especially ones that are full of of story and meta plot because like i don't really care about the math of the game that's not really what's so important to me is like the world building and the stories you can tell in them and eventually when you start to like read every story in the world you're like no i've, I've made a huge mistake <laughs> i've made a massive error in judgment so yeah now i'm back to reading normal books and occasionally reading gaming books for things like character creation or you know storytelling mm -hmm. what normal people do so i'm curious did how did reading every book change your opinion of vampire if at all i don't know that it changed my opinion at all but i i do feel like i saw that over the course of at least from first edition all the way up to the end of revised it, it there is definitely a very clear distinction of like the cooks in the kitchen, mm -hmm. you know, the broth changes slightly as every edition comes out. And sometimes it's consistent and you can see sometimes developers, writers, or what have you make an effort to either fit their story into established meta plot, or they're like, how can we just maneuver this meta plot to make this new story make sense? Mm. So it's not, I, I don't have like a better or worse opinion of it. I know it's a business. I know we're in the business of making games and telling Metaplot because that's what urges you to buy it. But really it did like take away a lot of the mystique and go, oh, we're just, we're customers, we're consumers mm -hmm. and they're creators making things for us to buy. And that's why we get new editions. Yeah, that was particularly on the nose with Revised when in the Mage line, <laughs> uh, Jesse Heinig talked about, yeah, we looked at the sales figures and realized that a supplement sells about 40% of what a core rule book does. So why not make more core rule books, which <laughs> set off arguably the most potent edition war that has ever existed in mage, which maybe isn't saying much. I remember reading them as a kid and they felt much more connected because you never read three books in three weeks. So any little right. oddities or inconsistencies never seemingly cropped up. I was just going to say, and even as a storyteller, when you're sitting down to create a game, you know, you are not bringing with you the full weight of 20 years of meta plot. You're bringing what elements you uh, envisioned for your story, mm -hmm. what you can remember, or little key characters and components that you're going to put into your soup. But when you read them back to back, and you're like, oh, it's not just like, hey, what's the spooky mystery? They don't even know either. Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's a certain Chris Carter effect where it's like, you don't know where you were going when you left the house in your car. <laughs> and at least in Mage, I'm kind of impressive that to me, they stuck the landing. I don't know how you feel ultimately about Gehenna as a book. Well, there's a review out there somewhere um, of me giving it uh, a good ration of, of crap. But yeah, I, I wasn't really a big fan of any, really any of their Gehenna plots. Mm -hmm. I, I truly felt like as a storyteller, I could have come up with, with better, uh, you know, end of the game stories. But, you know, I, I'm not, you know, who am I? I'm not running a game company, so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you may know Nate is, is alter ego, Justin Achille. <laughs> right, <laughs> They're yeah. really the same person. No one's ever seen them in the same place at the same time. I, I imagine in a lot of cases, your first read through was probably a bit ago to use technical time terms. Now that you're reading them as a different phase of adult, was there anything that either completely fell apart on second viewing or that you really fell in love with the second time around? I don't know if this is going to answer your question per se, but there is a distinct difference between how I read them as a player, okay. um, sort of like a individual obsessive, and how I read them as a podcaster. Because as a player, honestly, I don't know if this is unique to me or if this is something that a lot of people do, but as a player, I'm just sort of reading it you know, for leisure, you know, I'll read 20 pages here. And then in a week, I'll pick it up and read 30 more. And I'm just sort of absorbing the fun of the world and kind of absorbing what appeals to me as a player uh, and sort of ignoring or just discarding other things. But when I'm reading it for a podcast and I have to present 
some sort of cogent notion of a review, I, I have to really read it differently. I have to read it very much like, why would I advise people to read this book or why wouldn't I? So just, just the whole way of, of interpreting these books is different and stuff that I didn't see or that didn't seem to bother me in the way back when, you know, we'll use Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand as a for instance. When I first started playing was around the time that that book came out. And that book is pretty notorious for being like kind of crazy and a little wonky and a little over the top and kind of like, like, what were they thinking? But at the time I was like, oh, wow, like this is the truth about the Zemis. Holy crap. There's an alien life form. Whoa, what is this? And then, you know, years later, as I read through it again, I was like, oh, this is, this is dumb. This is just dumb. (laughs) To use the technical term. (laughs) Right, right. And, and then reading it for the purposes of review, you know, I kind of had both of those, those ideals in my head. And so I had to look at it from a completely different third perspective of what was the author trying to do? You know, were they, was it like an intentional act? of sabotage of the world of darkness? Well, no, clearly it wasn't. It was just this person's idea of what would be cool or fun to play at that time. It just didn't fit my worldview. And, you know, also I learned my worldview isn't the only one. So shut up and let other people have fun. Yeah, I, Maid suffers from the same thing where, where first edition was remarkably cosmic and second edition was wild out there stories but tied with culture and then revised tried to make it very intimate and very personal because the world is broken. And then M20 is just like, you want tuna fish and orange juice with your ice cream? That's great. We will offer you that at the <laughs> salad bar. So, so I certainly appreciate that. But now that we've spent uh, 10 minutes on what you have done, what is 2D10? You know, of course, my interests are very heavily grounded in tabletop role playing. Um, obviously, World of Darkness is a big uh, focus for me, but I felt like simply existing in solely the World of Darkness and not giving myself the ability to kind of move about and explore other games, you know, be they other world of darkness adjacent games like chronicles of darkness or other things produced by onyx path or just simply like other games i like to play like dungeons and dragons or whatever you know i want the ability to not be confined to well you know nate and his podcast only talks about vampire or they only talk about werewolf i just want to talk about games you know at the end of the day my goal has always been to like take the things i enjoy in in gaming or you know music or anything else and and sort of open the door for people to come and enjoy them with me you know uh, i i see a lot of people that have a tendency to slam doors not so much like in the podcast community i, I don't really notice that because i think most people that are making podcasts are doing it for the right reasons you know because they're passionate and they want to share that passion but like just in a life people sort of become very possessive about a thing that they love And then they just don't want anybody else to come in and make changes. And so, you know, from a podcasting perspective, I want to be able to open those doors, talk to people in all facets of the creative process, whether they're players or whether they're developers or writers or artists, and just chat about the things that I'm passionate about. And then um, sit down and spend like 12 to 15 hours writing scripts and then slowly chunking them down until they're like 12 minutes of repeatable material <laughs> and make a video out of it. So yeah, just share like sort of, sort of my knowledge, uh, it, you know, spending all these years playing games, you know, I do have some degree of, of expertise, whether or not it's quantifiable, I can't say, but you know, I know how to make a character. I know how to run a game. Let me help you. And then, you know, chat, talk about the things I'm passionate about tabletop gaming, long story short. Okay, so it seems like there's there's uh, two legs, at least, to the UML stool. We have the YouTube channel, which seems to be uh, explanation-based. Uh, yeah. Nate's goal is to get you to game better. Uh, and then the podcast, which is Nate helps you find out what is out there that you may be interested in. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a pretty good way of, of saying it. That's, that's a good elevator pitch. 
So you now have mm-hmm. this opportunity to look at other gaming media that you kind of didn't have the time to before, even if you were interested. Yeah. Uh, what what are kind of the top things on your uh, Nate wants to investigate this list? Yeah, so there are a lot of games that I've either played very little or I haven't played at all. And, you know, I recently got back into Dungeons and Dragons, you know, as like an adult, and I kind of like dismissed it for many years. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very interested to, you know, learn how Game Masters, Dungeon Masters, what have you, are are putting those games together. But, um, you know, there's a ton of other just like Onyx Path stuff, Chronicles of Darkness stuff that like aren't related to this like big chunk of World of Darkness that I've been just eating you know, without pause for years, you know, uh, I'd love to explore some of those other games because, you know, I, I do have a, like the primary function of my brain for many years has been vampire has been world of darkness. So now anything where I can kind of branch out and expand past that and see how other people run their games, see what kind of, you know, tables you, you can sit at, and, you know, just explore a lot of the other games that I like, Shadowrun, and and get into, like, um, you know, some of the, like, transhumanist stuff, sci-fi stuff. I'm a real big sci-fi fan, so anything that's going to get me into, you know, a little bit closer to, like, that Blade Runner kind of gaming, I really like to get into. So, yeah, the, foundationally, it's all going to start with the World of Darkness, just so I can get that crap out of the way. That's what people mm-hmm. expect, just... Get it out of the way. It's done. Now let's get into, you know, some other stuff. Let's really diversify. Oh, interesting. So have you been looking into things like uh, Corvus Bell or Alien or what is the the notable transhuman horror setting? They recently had a third edition come out. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about um, because I have the book on my shelf. But since you asked Eclipse me, phase. my brain, there you go. My, yeah. my brain wouldn't let me communicate that word. I have one of the core books um, on my shelf. That's waiting to be read. I'm right now. I'm working on a tutorial for uh, Sixth Edition Shadowrun. Okay. Because it needs it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the rules are confusing, and game could be lots and lots of fun, but it's very hard for me to sit down with my players. Uh, well, period, because of COVID. But it's very hard before that to sit down with them and be like, "All right, here's the book. Make a character." And they're like, "I don't know that I get where." Like, do I have, what, what do these points do? What, you know, so yeah, the big, the big part of the YouTube channel for me is making tutorials for games that I love, but also games that I've personally found to be a struggle because there aren't a lot of resources out there for people to go like, how do I actually make a character for this? You know, message boards are a place you can go. And typically that's all like people's really aggressive opinions about how to make characters. And I think just like someone sort of giving you a step-by-step walkthrough could be a really valuable tool for new gamers or people new to a specific game. Yeah, whenever I dive into a forum to get information, I really wish I had access to two statistics on the person posting a reply. When last (laughs) did they play with a normal human being that also hadn't been playing the game for at least seven years? And when last did they know the caress of another human? I feel like those two things would really give me a lot of information on whether or not this is a (laughs) someone just screaming at the world or this is a genuine hot take. Right. So (laughs) when was your last? hug and I can certainly appreciate that but I, I, I certainly look forward to to that media coming out because I, I am also huge on explainers another uh, thing you have done that I quite enjoyed I, I there are few actual play podcasts that I enjoy but your vampire actual play new moon rising right yeah. Okay. Um, there's a lot of things with the word moon in the name and by night in the name. Yeah. And I just it's, wanted to... it's it's unfortunate, but you know, <laughs> I decided to blend in with the pack instead of diversifying out from it. So there's actually here's a, here's a funny thing. I didn't do any research beforehand. I was just like, oh, this would be a cool name. And then I went looking up uh, like local LARPs in the Chicagoland area, mm-hmm. and there was actually a local LARP with that name. And I was ah. like, oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But you know, red hey. moon. <laughs> 
Red Moon, Red New Moon Rising by Night, Los Angeles, <laughs> I think would probably be the best that you could come up with. Um, and that was a, a lovely series, and it it hit an interesting mark in that it is something that a storyteller could reasonably approximate. Someone could could look up to to Nate and go, "I can get close to that with a bunch of practice." Uh, do you have any plans on on extending that or doing any uh, or entering the actual play arena again? It's it's kind of hard to say because the people that I was playing with. Um, half of them I no longer live near um, because I, I moved states earlier this year due in part because of COVID. Um, so I would have to completely like reconfigure how I play with them. And, you know, once, once, once there's extra time for them to, mm-hmm. you know, get that, cause now there, there's an hour difference between, you know, those people and me. Um, but also I do intend to one way or the other um, publish more tabletop material under that name um you know i definitely want to get back to that particular chronicle because i got way more stories to tell with those players i have a bunch more stuff for them to do and i really had a difficult time ever getting all of them at the table at the same time just because adults have lives and nobody's getting paid it's all for fun um so at some point the answer is yes with those folks i do intend to try to get something back up and a game running but also I intend to uh, do more gaming. I, I have a chronicle um, that I'm working on right now that takes place in the 20s in Chicago. Um, so kind of the same game-ish, but way, way earlier than what you would have experienced in that. And I figure if I publish anything, uh, you know, podcast-related, actual play-related in that genre, I'll just use that that heading and post it all there. So yeah, as of right now, nothing's happening, but that's because I'm working on it. And I guess my last question is, what is it like trying to build a media property or media presence uh, in 2020 from, I'm not going to quite say scratch, but from close to scratch? Uh, do you have any any advice to, to, to people who are like, I want to create Utility Muffin Labs too, uh, preferably yeah. with a different name because quickly there are copyright <laughs> concerns? Yeah, I would say just make, make stuff you want to make and just do it consistently and realize that you may be one of the lucky ones who makes a bunch of money. And I really hope that that happens for you. But for the rest of us, it's just going to be a lot of work. And the rewards are not likely to be abundant in the numerical sense. However, they will be emotionally uh, rewarding. But you ha- if, you, if you decide that this is the hobby that you want to pursue or pursue it further than a hobby, you just have to do it and you have to be consistent. And it doesn't matter if there's, here's an analogy I made yesterday. Um, I'll go back to my personal life here for a moment. Um, my wife is also trying to create something from scratch, something adjacent you know, to the podcasting, YouTube, whatever. And she's like, you know, I looked up online and there's like five other people that are, that have this focus and do this and do that. And you know, I was like, okay, but there's six Terminator movies. Um, so like, it's okay if there are people who are doing something similar to you, uh, don't use that as your basis of, um, success because they're one, they're not you. And, you know, I, I watch a ton of YouTube videos and I watch videos that are better written and better produced and they have better equipment and they also have teams of six people. So, you know, they all started somewhere. Some of the biggest YouTube channels, some of the biggest uh, podcasts just started with one or two people just working really hard. And if it's what you enjoy doing, that's what you should do and work really hard at it. And hopefully the rest will follow. But yeah, if you're jumping into this thinking you're going to be a billion followers and making millions of dollars, eh, you know, that might be not the correct way to look at things. Just do it. That's, that's my advice. Just, just freaking do it. Yep. And once you do, if it doesn't completely suck, and this has a relatively low barrier <laughs> compared to what people do, uh, Nate or I will likely want to talk to you about it. Right. Um, and if we would like to follow what 2D10 is up to, where can we do that? This information will also be in our show notes. Well, the best place to go is my website, which we've mentioned like six times already. It's utilitymuffinlabs.com. I know that's a very strange address, but it's really not that weird. Um, Utility Muffin Labs where we build utility muffins. Uh, Also, you can just look on YouTube for 2D10. You can look up 2D10 on all the podcast platforms, I believe. 
yeah. And if you, if all else fails, just go to my website because there's literally links for everything in every episode I post. So. Yeah, I use three random words as passwords for a lot of sites, and I was disappointed to find out that one was already taken in the form of Utility Muffin Labs when I <laughs> when I went to find it. Uh, and, and Nate has some delightful graphic artwork as well under <laughs> under Nate's portfolio, which is a, a lot of fun to go through. The uh, Wayland Utani uh, UML homage is uh, something I'm quite <laughs> fond of. Um, and with that, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Mage the Podcast, which recently received emergency youth authorization from the FDA. The show is possible. The show is made possible by executive producers who include Andrews S, Andrew K, Andrew E, Brendan, Bryce Perry, Christopher P, Chris Zach, Ira Grace, Jenna F, Justin B, John H, John Magnuson, Josh Goulden, Michael Parker, Richard Bat Brewster, William C, William M, and Jay Sunsern. Today's shout-out is to Jay Sunzern, noted wise person who remembers early variants of mage that never saw the light of day, such as the Garu Coronary Surgery Simulator based on the vampire system called Rage, the Essential Hypertension, the D10-based cooking sim using your existing spice cabinet called Sage the Suspension, and finally, the Latin Copyboy Storyteller game where you work as an apprentice in a Latin printer in the 15th century in the Papal States of Italy called Page the Declension. We look forward to hearing more as time goes on. If you'd like to become an executive producer like Jay, get a cool chat color in Discord, and make me make things up about you periodically, as well as receive our EP-only podcast, So What's Your Plan? You can become one by clicking on Become a Supporter in the show notes or through the episode entries on our webpage. If you super liked this episode or super didn't, drop us a line at magethepodcast at gmail.com or at magethepodcast on Twitter. We have a hop in Discord community at discord.me slash magethepodcast. You can subscribe to our show on Spotify, Anchor, TuneIn, iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, or the podcatcher of your choice. If you like us, please give us a review on the platform of your choosing or tell a friend about us. Also, go to magethepodcast.com for show notes and all of our previous shows. Now go change reality. Bye!